0: I feel like one of the best ways to fire people up is choose a big enemy that's very public and say like, we're basically enlisting people in our fight against this thing that is like very clearly
1: messed up. What is up, you sexy bastards? It's your boy, Everything Bagel, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Noah Kagan. I have a special guest intro from Nev, aka the brand bandit, (laughs) aka Neville Medora, one of my best friends who also runs copwritingcourse.com. Today's episode is a bit different. Last week, we did a live podcast episode at South by with friends and some of the top online creators like Neville Medora, Sam Parr, Nick Gray, and Justin Mayers in today's episode. Nev, take it away. What did you think of the panel and the experience?
2: I think it was awesome. One of my favorite things was learning from Sam Parr, Nick Gray, yourself, Justin Mayers about what their favorite social platforms were and the different ways that they're utilizing them and things that they're doing that don't work and things that are doing that do work. What was something that you shared that you should probably charge a lot of money for people to know? (laughs) One interesting thing: I was hanging out in San Francisco one summer, and one of my friends happened to work on the Google Spam team as an engineer. And he once, just casually in a conversation, mentioned that if you have three back and forth conversations with someone over any Gmail Enterprise system, that they get in
1: the primary inbox. And I thought that's not something I'm supposed to know. That's cool. So if you're sending emails, get three conversations, you get the primary inbox. It was a great event. Uh, thank you to AppSumo.com team for putting it on. Nick and Frank for organizing. Thank you as well to CastMagic.io. Which is on sale at AppSumo. It actually helped create these show notes as well. It can do anything for audio and YouTube. It basically does ChatGPT AI magic and outputs timestamps, scripts, and a lot of cool things that we use on our show. I recommend you check it out on AppSumo. That's Cast Magic. Now, if you ever want to learn exactly how content creators get successful, you're going to love this episode. Here's three gigantic things you're going to take away one, what content channels were people most excited about right now? Two, the tools you need to make the best content creation. Again, shout out Cast Magic. And three, the exact formulas people are using to grow their audience today. Enjoy those three things, plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. In this episode, we talk a lot about collecting emails and creating a newsletter, and we even built a tool called SendFox.com, which is what I use and I recommend, and it's free to use if you are looking to grow your email list. There's no subscription, you pay once, and you can use it for life, and as well as it's free to start. So check it out at SendFox.com. Also, if you want to launch your own business, but you don't know where to start, I got you. We reopened our course, Monthly 1K, for 10 bucks. So thousands of people start their business journey, and I know it'll help you too. Head over to okdork.com slash monthly one K. Also special pre-show shout out to listener Arra. Love the show, especially the entrepreneur appetizers, quick, bite-sized entrepreneurial tips on the go. Damn, I love you and every other one of your gorgeous listeners. If you want to shout in a future episode, leave a review wherever you're listening to the podcast, but check every single one of them. Yeah, thank you all for coming out. How many people here are like content creators or podcasts or, or want to grow their audience of sorts? Make noise, hand gestures. <laughs> Hell yeah. Thanks for coming. We're going to do some intros real quick, and then we'll just jump into answering answer some questions and then talk about how to make content to grow an audience and have fun with it. Okay. First off, Neville Madora. How many people know? Neville, copywritingcourse.com. This guy uh, has been doing financial blogging, content creation, building audiences for a very long time. He's had a rave business. Anybody here like raves?
3: (laughs) <laughs>
1: I've never been to one either, so. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. <laughs> Tonight, the after party's a rave. Uh, you've done a lot of things. You've created courses. You've built community now. And you have a large audience that teach people how to copyright. Uh, and he runs it as a single solopreneur founder with a big freelance team. Yeah. So, And Sam Parr. Does everyone know who Sam Parr? Let's give it up for Sam Parr. <laughs> Woo! That's it. OK, Justin <laughs> So Sam Parr is what happens when you come from Missouri. Uh, <laughs> no, the Chiefs, Missouri. My mom's from Missouri. Missouri's a great state. Anybody else here from Missouri? Dude, fuck yeah. Dude, hell yeah. Good looking people from Missouri. All right, so Sam Parr, I guess you read Neville's blog. And then what did that inspire you to do?
3: I read Neville's blog in 2012. And I bought his course because there was a video of YouTube speaking maybe outside of your condo on a balcony, and I paid $100 or $300. I bought your course. I also did monthly 1K, by the way. And uh, I started my company because he taught me how to write. And then I convinced him. I said, hey, fly up to my house. I'm going to host a conference, and I'll pay for your accommodation. And I bought him a ticket on Southwest. He slept on my couch. And it wasn't a conference, it was a five-person meetup. Usually when you host someone, it's like a hotel suite. Instead, I slept on a couch with his dog. (laughs) And then like 10 years later, he was the best man at my wedding. So it worked out.
4: Sam Parr started a popular newsletter called The Hustle, which was acquired two years ago exactly by a publicly traded company called HubSpot. It was a multi mega million dollar acquisition, and Sam built this whole newsletter company that was read by millions of people every day. A really, really good job. He now is the host of the number one business podcast called My First Million. Uh, any My First Million listeners in here? Yes, awesome podcast, number one business podcast. And Sam is married to a wonderful woman, Sarah, and he spends half his time in New York City.
1: Great. Justin? I have to intro myself? Yes. Fine. <laughs> so I'm Justin. I, I can do it. I, I can do it. All right, give it up for Justin Mayers, everyone.
4: Woo-hoo!
1: In the back, a little bit on the back, Sean. All right, so Justin Mayers, true story. You were an intern at Absumo, 2011. Yeah. And then I think you quit. Did you quit? quit. He quit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's gone on to do amazing things. How many people here know Kettle and Fire, the bone broth company? I love that stuff. Have it at home. What's that? I said not bad. No, no, it's great. Uh, Shirley Wine, non-alcoholic wine. Didn't we try it yet? It's phenomenal. I have that at home as well. Uh, he's a phenomenal writer. justinmayers.com is the newsletter. And then you started Perfect Keto. I think this guy is one of the best at getting companies off the ground really, really quickly, really, really cheaply. And his content, the newsletter, is also one of my favorites. Same as Neville's at CopywritingCourse.com. Do you, you don't do a personal one.
3: No, I am um, non-compete, bro.
1: Oh, really? <laughs> 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 anyway justin is one of my favorite entrepreneurs i think there's a lot of he's very innovative and creative in what he shares and how he runs his company so i'm glad he could be here to talk about content and other things
3: and i've known justin since 2010 yeah, that's right. true. We've, we've come up together so he's definitely kicked ass and then we have nick gray who has the book the two-hour cocktail party he told me he was going to create this book and i thought it was a horrible idea and he ended up selling tens of thousands of copies people love it and he hosts parties all over the country and he previously had a Aviation Supplies Company?
4: Yes, Aviation Company, and then Museum Hack, which I think a lot of people knew about, where we did renegade museum tours at some of the biggest, best museums in America. Started at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and then grew to many other cities. And what renegade means is we'd hire stand-up comedians and Broadway actors to lead those tours. And I sold that in 2019. Great. What I thought we would do is there are so many amazing creators that are here in the audience, and they have good questions for the panelists. Some of the questions that we're gonna talk about from the panelists are uh, what content channels are you guys each most excited about, what tools you might be using now to work on those types of things, and how you're growing your audience, Okay, So panelists, I want you to think about that. But I also thought, I've seen some really good panels, and I'm going to get frustrated when they wait till the end for the questions. So I thought it would be cool to hear some of the questions first to help inform what we speak about. Are you okay with that, panelists? Great. Now, some of you guys submitted your questions in advance. If you can restate those, I would love it. I'm going to call on one or two of my friends to hear from them. Danny, Miranda, I'm going to ask you for a question. I'm also going to ask Brian what question you might have. And then if there's anybody else that has a hand up, tell me your questions. We're not going to answer your questions right now, but we will hear your questions. We'll answer them later. What questions are you thinking about, Danny? What's the most surprising thing you guys have found out about each other over the past 10 years? Nice. Great question. Don't answer it. Nathan, I'm putting you on blast. What type of question do you have? You just hit 50,000 subscribers for your newsletter. Congratulations. What questions are you thinking about, Nathan? I'm curious about the golf clothing company because I really like golf. Uh, I'll hear more about that. Great. Fantastic. Thank you for the sponsor plug. Brian, what questions are you thinking
3: about? All right, this one's for Sam. If you could start all over again. No, I'm kidding, dude. I'm not going to ask you that. No, um, no. It, it, we talk about podcasting a lot, and podcasting is one of the hardest mediums to grow organically. So my question would be, what, how would you go about scaling an intermediate podcast to a large podcast? Great.
4: Nice question. I'm going to come to Austin. You got a question, Austin? Fantastic. Show me hands up. Anybody else have one or two more questions? I'd love two more questions from the audience. Austin, what do you got? Great. How do you make the leap from multiple seven figures to multiple eight figures? Nice. Great question. Kim, what are you thinking about?
5: All right, cool. So uh, basically, I'm, I just started helping content creators launch digital products. So I guess with that, um, my question is kind of like, how would you go about scaling different things like that? And just making sure that how do you go about managing content creators um, as they're growing their brands? Because a lot of the ones I've been dealing with are pretty large.
4: Great. So panelists, what are the top content channels that you guys are most excited about. Neville, would you be willing to go first? I'm imagining that you'll speak for about 90 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually did a bunch of customer
2: calls with my newsletter. I said, hey, if you want to chat. And so six months ago, I started doing, this. I've done a couple hundred calls asking, where did you find me? Because it's very difficult to find. So if they're from out of the country, almost exclusively, it's YouTube, which is surprising. Um, A lot of people have been finding me from Instagrams, from shorts recently, and very few people have been finding me from SEO where they used to like find a blog post, sign up. That used to be the common path. Now, very few people are doing that and more people are coming through social channels, especially YouTube, a lot of
4: Twitter, that kind of stuff, but mainly YouTube. Uh, very briefly, your landing page converts at an incredible number. Can you speak about that and what sort of makes it If you successful? go to copywritingcourts.com,
2: there's like this weird-looking guy. Uh, he's a GIF that just like an assistant made a long time ago. And it's really goofy, and I've always wanted to change it make it more professional. But it converts so high, I've never been able to beat it. So it just has a silly-looking GIF. And I don't know, it's just, it's just different. I guess that's why it works. Also, Easter egg, hit when he points his hand, it kind of looks like a dick. <laughs> okay. And- <laughs>
4: Um, but it does convert at like 10%, right? Which is incredible. One out of every 10 visitors signs up for your newsletter, right? That's right. Okay, yeah. great. <laughs> Noah, would you be willing to share some stuff about what, what channels
1: you're most excited about? Uh, the, ch- the channels that, so Jeremy and I work together, shout out Jeremy. Where's he? At? So Jeremy uh, and I work on the channel and all the, the door content together. Pretty much spend all of our time almost 90% on YouTube. So everything is basically starts from the YouTube channel, and then all that content comes down to all the smaller channels, or to the other places like Reels and Shorts and stuff like that. Uh, basically spend most of our time there and then most of time on the newsletter. Because all the channels, one thing I've noticed is that we build the audience, but to be able to communicate with them, you need the newsletter. So SendFox.com is what we use. SendFox.com. Yeah, those are the two names I focus on. I, we do do Twitter and all these things, but it's not a uh, priority. Your
4: YouTube, can you talk about some of your most famous videos on YouTube? You've had some real ones that have had big hits.
1: Yeah, so the the video format that's worked well for us lately is we try to do like a compilation video. So an example of that was we did asking 80-year-old billionaires whether it was worth it. We went out. It was actually just a day trip in California, and we found these different gentlemen Went and filmed all of them, put in a compilation of asking 8 year billionaires. But what was interesting about it is that then after launching it, we launched a second video with just dedicated, the dedicated interview cut up. And that actually then almost did better than the original video. So that's a little bit more of the format that we've been approaching. Like we do these new videos. Our next video coming up is The American Dream. So same thing. We're doing a compilation with a lot of people. And then once we launch that, we'll have a second video. A lot of what we think about is we do about two videos a month. And that's different than last year. We did three videos a week. Yeah. Wow. Why
4: did that shift or what are you thinking what's the Uh, the story
1: that happened was last year or two years ago jeremy and i were basically desperate we were at like i think 150 thousand subs and we had to get to 250 thousand subs we had one month left it was basically end of november so i think if you're doing content creation pick a goal and pick a deadline like hey i'd like to get this and the one thing i'd say the goal is pick a low goal (laughs) i think i used to be like let's just go insane but to pick something you could sustain but if you're trying to do any of the content creation i think the number one thing to, to really focus on is sustainability it's just like, it's so easy to do a video and then you get excited and then you give up. And that's what it, most, I always look at contractors be like, okay, when's the last video and when's the last tweet and when's last, and most people just stop. So if you could be one of the few, that's how you'll survive and, and succeed. And so we had a, a month left and that's what we were like, all right, we need to do some crazy things. It's not working what we're doing. And so we, I think Jeremy or someone on the team came up with the idea of like, let's go knock on doors. And we put out that video at the end of November and then we hit our goal two weeks later. And so basically it was like, all right, that's working. And it's hard because you have to give up what, what used to work or what we thought was working to that. And so now we just do two videos a month, um, highly produced. Like we basically have hundreds or thousands of ideas and just pick one or two each month.
4: Would you be willing to share, because I know as your friend, how hard those videos are for you
1: to do sometimes? Yeah, the big banger video we have now is me going on a private jet. So I basically stood outside an airport and waited for people to let me on their private jet. That was awesome. Yeah, was, that was, was a really good video. That, that was great. It was great. The good and bad is that I spent about a month ahead of that day having anxiety every day until the video happens. It's like the worst anxiety. It's
3: <laughs> well, you're, you're standing outside of a gate at the private executive airport asking people if you can go on to their private jet. Yes. So that is very anxiety inducing.
1: It's more that it's the month ahead of time. And so I think the takeaway for people that are content creators out there is that are you doing a video that if no one watches it or if you're making a tweet or an Instagram or a reel or a short, if no one watches it, are you still proud of yourself? And I think that was the disconnect for me where I was doing some of the videos that I was like, I fucking hate this, and I'm not proud of it. And then no one watched it. And and so I think Jeremy and I and the team have done a much better job of, okay, are we proud of what we're doing regardless of anyone's season? I think the jet, we're like, that's just crazy if we can get on a jet. Next up is spaceship. We're trying to, no, I don't know how to get on a spaceship. But it's it's more like, even if no one watched it, we thought it would be an interesting story. And it turned out to be a, a great video and a great story. Awesome. Thanks very much. Sam Parr. What top
4: content channels are you most excited about?
3: So, email is the most profitable for for me, uh, and it has always been. I, I'm sure you guys would agree. So, uh, I'm gonna go hard on email soon. Again, right now, the hustle's read by 3. Like five We have 3.5 million subscribers, I think, and like a 50% open rate, and that can. I don't own it anymore, but that can make a whole lot of money. So, I'm still excited for that. Twitter has given me the most access to hard-to-reach people. And I think it's the most fun because it's easy. Like you can just tweet a thought and I'll always ask for recommendations and people give me good suggestions. Um, the podcast right now... So we we the podcast goes on YouTube and on podcasts. We call that the RSS feed. So Spotify uh, and all that stuff. That's at like 130 to 150,000 downloads per episode. And I'm, ex- I'm trying to get that to like 500,000 and then eventually a million. And that's been the most challenging, but I'm most excited about that. And then YouTube, our YouTube sucks. We succeed in spite of ourselves sometimes. And uh, I'm, I think that will be the easiest to grow once we dial it in.
4: Last night at your meetup, you said some really cool things about how challenging it is to grow a podcast.
3: Yeah. And I remember when you launched your pod, you were like, I'm going to get to 100,000 downloads an episode. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll make that my goal. And we'll probably get there in a year. And at the time we launched our pod, the hustle had 1.5 million or maybe 1 million subscribers. The very first episode got 60,000 downloads. And I was like, oh, shit, this is going to be easy. And then. Over the next two months, it went down to five and ten thousand downloads per episode, and I was like, "Shit!" And so since then, it's been like a slow grind. Uh, When we got acquired, we are at three hundred thousand downloads an episode, three hundred thousand downloads a month, so maybe like fifty thousand an episode. And anyway, it's been a really hard grind to grow that like podcast feed. But once you get it, it's consistent. It's the most consistent thing I've seen besides email, where the same amount of people download it every week, and they consume it, and they listen, and it's impossible to grow. It's so challenging. I don't know how or if we could have done it without a multi-million uh, email list. Uh, I mean, you, you had it, right? You had a pod. It's fucking hard.
1: Well, for people... How many people have podcasts or want to start a podcast? It's a decent amount, maybe? What are one or two things that helped you grow it?
3: So... The biggest thing that I thought was going to help that did not was buying ads on different mediums. So buying ads on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, wherever, that did nothing. It was like prohibitively expensive and it did nothing. What did work was doing uh, a variety of different podcast swaps. So what I learned was you have to be on the medium in order to grow that particular medium. So meaning you want to advertise or do something with people while they're listening to podcasts. So what worked with us is... We would do a few things. Jordan Harbinger is a friend of mine, and he had a much bigger audience. And so we would mention him two times in the beginning of our podcast. And then he would mention us like one time in the beginning of his. And so we would do these SWATs where we would say, this episode is brought to you by our friend, uh, Jordan, and he would do vice versa. That helped. And then another thing that helps is doing a uh, podcast feed drop. So we would take someone else's episode, put it on our pod, and then vice versa. And we would do like an intro uh, in advance saying what this is all about. And those two things are the biggest uh, needle movers. Getting like really famous guests definitely helps. It doesn't help as much as I thought, but it does help. And getting other podcasters to share your stuff is the biggest difference. Sharing on Twitter and things like that doesn't really help that much. The gentleman's agreement. So that's kind of funny. So, if anyone listens, they probably heard of this thing called the gentleman's agreement. I stole it from someone. And so basically, if, whenever we have a shtick, like he remembered it, we'll have a sh- we'll make up these like shticks and we'll use it for three or four months. So for a while on YouTube, it was like smash the like button. Someone like came up with that shtick. Our shtick was, hey, listen, unlike every other bit of information on youtube our content is not free you see you are now in debt to us if you listen to it and you made it to this you owe us and like it's kind of like when you go to 7-eleven you see the muscle dystrophy like piece of candy at the top of the 7-eleven counter and you have to leave a quarter you take a piece of candy that's what this podcast is if you're going to listen to more than one episode it's a gentleman's agreement because we're not there to make sure that you're clicking subscribe but you better do it because you owe us and when we did that our subscribe we started adding the first month it was a thousand new subscribers a day Uh, And it totally worked. So now we went from like 120,000 subscribers to 180,000 to 190,000 or something like that in a very short amount of time. That thing is going to wear out soon, by the way. I'm seeing it already wear out. So we're going to have to come up with another funny, interesting thing. But you know how people like on YouTube and podcasts, whatever they say, like and subscribe. And you're like, that doesn't work. It totally does. It 100% does. Justin, um, what channels, top
4: channels are you most excited about? That you're thinking, so I'm I'm maybe a
0: little bit different than everyone else up here in that I'm not really a full-time content creator. So I tend to think about these things from more of a like framework standpoint. And if I were basically, I'm starting a new company. Over the last couple months, we have uh, gotten on all of the top cable like news media outlets in the country. Uh, We've done a bunch of like Russell Brand podcasts, going on Rogan soon. Done a bunch of other things, and so we've like had this crazy media blitz. And the thing that I would say works well for us is, and how I would approach things, like if I had a podcast, is I probably would be spending almost no time thinking about the medium of doing a podcast and like trying to grow that specifically. But I would instead look at like, what are the channels that are not yet saturated where there's no Sam Parr or Noah Kagan that you have to compete with? Like right now, it's if you wanted to launch a business podcast, it's like probably impossible to compete
3: against you, just to be totally honest. It's very challenging Incredibly for anyone. Incredibly hard. Yeah. Not to compete uh, against me, but for, <laughs> yeah, it, right. for it, it was hard for us. Right,
0: totally. Uh, and so I would probably spend all of my time looking at uh, TikTok is probably the best one. I'm sure there's other apps and social media tools that people are using that are not yet saturated. Like for your business podcast, I would probably literally ignore podcasting until you'd built up a like somewhat substantial TikTok following, like really gotten a bunch of the stuff that you want to say in the world, push into a media or a channel that's not yet saturated, and then tried to bridge them over to podcasts or emails or something else. Uh, Just because I think that once these channels get established, they're especially podcasting where people like, have the same shit that they subscribe to they like, you know, it's, it's really hard to insert yourself in there.
3: Uh, Are you going on Rogan or buying an ad?
0: We're, we're going on Rogan in a couple months. Will you yeah. talk
3: about... Not me,
4: not me. My co-founder, yeah. The new business that you've yeah. had a lot of success. Will you talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah. So we're, we're starting a company called TrueMed. It's um it's it's a basically a company that allows health and wellness brands, like the ones that I've started, uh, like 8Sleep, Peloton, and others, to accept HSA and FSA funds, which are buckets of tax-free funds, uh, on their websites. So basically, like any of you have a health savings account, you can put money in there and pay for your gym membership, supplements, 8Sleep. Peloton all that tax-free and so that's kind of what we're working on as a payments tool Uh, and basically the the bigger mission is we're trying to make it so that we're fixing and and trying to fix the incentives that lead the average American towards huge amounts of chronic disease overweight obesity and all these other issues that are plaguing the country and give them some incentives to actually invest in their health before it goes away so that's like the new thing we're working on
4: yeah really cool round of applause really cool work yeah thank you justin (laughs) Got Neville's dick pop-up versus... (laughs) (laughs) I didn't get a round of applause. He's literally saving America. (laughs) Think about your life, Neville. (laughs) Let's get some questions, or I guess you guys can think about questions. Can I see a show of hands? Are there any questions right now for things you guys are thinking about? I see a question from Nathan. Anybody else have questions? I see a question in the back. I see a few more questions. So let's... Are you guys okay for some Q&A? Great. Let's
3: hear Nathan. It's actually a question for Nick. Uh, Nick, you're doing some really interesting stuff to promote your book. Uh, what channels are you thinking through? What's working? What's been like, surprising there?
4: Thanks very much. I would not wish a book on my worst enemy because it is very difficult and it's hard. And uh, it's probably the least profitable yet most fulfilling work that I've ever done. And I would just say that the channels that have been successful, I was on Sam Parr gave me some shout outs. I was a guest on Noah's. I was in Neville's newsletter. But I think a book is really challenging. Uh, 92% of all books sold never get read beyond page 32 or something. And so thinking about a book as a medium, I don't know if I'd advise people to do that. The common advice, oh, I'll tell you one thing I learned that was major, is right now the best people that are writing books that are getting the most reviews are asking for the review at the end of chapter four, five, or six. Um, Alex Hormozzi is doing this, some other people. And they're getting that review earlier rather than waiting till the end because the reader has momentum, the reader has excitement, and they're thinking. So I'm thinking about re-releasing my book for that. Great question. I saw your hand up, Courtney. What are some of your favorite ways to build community? Great. Thanks, Courtney. I
3: have strong opinions on that. So... Yeah, so I think a lot of people confuse the word... (laughs) <laughs> confuse the word community with audience. And oftentimes, when they say community, they're really meaning audience. And the difference between the two is, if you quit working, and quit creating content, is more content being created without you? That's a community. And so a community is like literally a place on the internet or in person where someone... Pe- many people are coming. It's many to many, whereas an audience is one to many. M- nine out of 10 times when people say community... They really only have an audience, which is fine. Community is more valuable, though, and it is significantly harder. What I have found, I own a bunch of I own Facebook groups that collectively have half a million um, uh, members, and I have a paid community that does well. We have a bunch of paid communities, and what I have found is what makes them work the best is when you have the least amount of friction. And so, what a lot of people do is they create a website and they go to it's, it's usually like your business name and like they use Circle or something like that. And fucking no one goes to them because it's so hard to get someone to go to a destination to post on a forum and they want to do that because they think that's the right thing to do. And it's like 9 out of 10 times it's impossible to get people to do that. And so ideally, you just use Slack or Facebook or Reddit or somewhere where the people already are because it's very challenging. And it's very rare to get someone to actually go to a forum to write words. It's really hard.
1: Neville you have a community like how have you built your community have you fostered it what have you learned I have a community the exact type you're talking about it's
3: possible but it's hard yeah
1: we can't we can't use platforms like that because you have to accept
2: 20 page posts and such and he's right it is very hard to get people there I think if you have a community with the about $100 a month thing the natural limit for it is about 1200 I've never seen anyone buck that trend really try to think of it. It's very difficult. But with Facebook, what you always do is uh, people are already on Facebook. And it naturally, as you get more people in that community, Facebook says, hey, this is showing up. So it shows up in people's feeds. But I would say that you have to have a really strong community moderator. So when you built your communities, you were in there
3: all the time. All the time. I live in there. And then I would also get like really interesting guests who other members I knew would want to come or come because of those people. And I would write posts for them and be like, hey, just post this for me. Yeah, and, uh, and it looked like a lot was happening, but that's how I would it seeded, with activity. Yeah.
2: So the goal for most people with the community, they say, hey, my members will talk to each other. That's USG, user-generated content. So that's what you're talking about. But I think that jig is up. I think people don't go to Facebook groups quite as much as they used to. There has to be some reason for people to actually go inside of a group that they can't find on just general social media. And there are some places that do it really well where they get small groups of people
1: on a regular basis to meet. And so that's kind of an interesting thing we can talk about later. I've seen people do really well with like WhatsApp groups. So I know I like think like Tropical MBA people are doing it. I'm in like an Austin tech group and like my friend Andrew started it here and then he went to LA and so you can start micro groups. One thing I, I stolen from Justin, the hand-to-hand thing. And I think Sam actually had a really good point. There's a difference between an audience and a community. A lot of people might see my, my video on YouTube, but they don't know who I am. They don't give two shits. And that's an audience. But a community is like, oh, I might actually kind of care what this person is doing. And so from Justin, the thing I do is that I reply to almost every single comment. And I reply to almost every single email. And it's me. It's not like there's no, they're always like, oh, your team's so great. I'm like, it's just me. And I, <laughs> and I think that's how you build a community. It's like one by one. I think people get fixated on, I need to have like a 1,000 or 10,000 or 100,000. It's like, you really need, like there's people building large businesses. We didn't interview this guy, Dan Coe, he's got a million dollar business. And I think he had like 500 people on Twitter to start. Just to kind of give you an idea about the impact of the quality of your community. So I would try to really just work on Justin's idea, hand-to-hand combat or hand-to-hand marketing, which is just one by one. And it's like, are you responding to all these people? Are you replying to all these people? Because that, that's the person. And I think when you do that, that's how you build a community and not an audience.
4: Nice. I like that. That relates to me. I try to do a phone call with every single reader
1: in my book. Frank, what is your next question? Uh, my question goes out to Sam or I guess any of you guys. Uh, one of the podcasts I always listen to says uh, their CTA is like, uh, if they're a subscriber, unsubscribe and resubscribe. I'm curious if that's like a natural good tactic or if it actually
3: works or yeah. why they do that. So. For the most part, the charts, so I use Chartable to look at charts, but there's like the iTunes chart and then Spotify charts. Those are mostly not that important. It's kind of vanity, but it helps a little bit with discoverability. But there's a lot of people who are way above MFM that are much smaller. And there's a lot of people, there's a couple of people below us that are much bigger and vice versa. So it doesn't always correlate with downloads. But the way the charts work, at least for Apple, is it's the velocity of people who listen to a new episode or who subscribe or you know click like the follow button and so one time i tweeted out during the apple like new product release thing i said i can't believe apple just released this new feature you see this ridiculous image when you click subscribe on a podcast here's our link click subscribe and watch what happens nothing happened uh but (laughs) yeah nothing happened but the next day we are number one in the itunes store for most popular podcasts even though we didn't do anything and so it does actually i think help you go up and down the charts but the charts aren't that important i tweeted like a before and after and we went from like i forget where we were to like number one and it was really funny and that type of stuff like builds fun and hype but we didn't get any we didn't get more downloads the next day
4: Next question for our panelists, I would love to know, is there any tools that you guys are using now,
1: specific growth tools or marketing tools? Uh, tools. I wrote down a list. Does that mean to Sam? Please, let's no, hear go. it. go. Fine, your Sam. <laughs> you are a tool. Read your tool. Oh. <laughs> That's good. That was good. So first off, shout out AppSumo.com. If you need tools and good deals on software, go to Sumo.com. <laughs> yeah. A few of the different things. So lately, we've been using for podcasts on YouTube a thing called CastMagic.io, so they just went live on AppSumo.com. We're using it on our podcast. We're using it on YouTube for our show notes, timestamps, and it basically like, kind of like ChatGPT, but actually outputting really useful stuff that normally we would have to pay someone a few hundred bucks a month, if not more, to do. I think it's what forty nine dollars in the store right now. So that's pretty thirty nine. Good deal. Okay, uh, good price. So CastMagic.io, you can get it on AppSumo.com right now. We use ClickUp for all of our project management. We don't have that on AppSumo, but we could one day maybe have it. Uh, Libsyn. Who do you use for your hosting? We use Libsyn, 20 bucks a month. I like the price. Uh, SendFox.com for email sending to notify people of our episodes. TidyCal.com on AppSumo as well and free for scheduling interviews. Then we use HypeFury for the social promotion, HypeFury.com.
2: I use HypeFury as well for Twitter and LinkedIn posting. I actually get very – I don't like posting on social media. I get sometimes a little nervous about it. So pre-scheduling for me is the best. So if I pre-schedule content, it goes out at 9 a.m. I don't have to actually click send. And for some reason, that helps me a lot. So Hype Fury is great for that. Uh, Buffer is another one that just posts to every social platform at the same time. Also, I have an assistant who does a lot of work for me. And I basically track, or I don't actually track her clicks, but I ask her, like, what do, are you spending a lot of time on? And then I'll have a developer build a tool to do exactly that. So I build a lot of custom tools like that. So for responding to comments and such, if she's doing a lot of back and forth, it's like, can we just make a
4: computer do that? And that helps. Tremendously. Um, I got a cool tool that I like. Uh, For Twitter, um, A B testing your profile copy. I use birdie.so. And if you haven't done uh, an A B test of your profile copy, it was very eye opening to me. I ran a test on my profile name and I had my name Nick Gray, or I did a test of changing my name to How to Make Friends. And I got massively more followers using that name. So I guess that's my name now. But that tool is a great tool to A-B test your profile copy. And it will run a test that is statistically significant that will tell you very, very good results. You have to let it run for several days. And it does that by changing your profile once every 15 minutes and then seeing the views versus um, clicks on the link in your bio. Sam, you got any tools you're using?
3: I don't use that many. I use HubSpot because I get a free subscription. I use that for everything. Uh, like all of our, all my new businesses are built on top of it. Um, no, I'm like shockingly unsophisticated when it comes to like any type of like data and tools and things like that. No, I don't. I don't really. We don't use anything other than HubSpot. I think one smart thing that you
4: do sometimes in your tweets to drive engagement is you'll misspell words. Can you talk about that strategy?
3: There is no strategy. I just, <laughs> but it works like crazy. When, when, with the hustle, like getting our email in the inbox, one of the hacks that you do is you get people to reply back. And when we were, you know, sending millions of emails a day, um, I would write it at first, or I would be, when I was the writer, sometimes I would misspell stuff all the time. And we would get so many people that would reply and we would go straight to their inbox next time. Or we would always ask people, like, um, what city are you in right now? Or what's a cool book that you've read this week that we should feature? And we would get, you know, tens of thousands of replies, and then we would go to people's inbox. So misspelling stuff has always helped, but I don't do it on purpose.
4: Okay. One of our last scripted questions, and then we'll go to Q&A. Um, then at the end, we might do a creator teardown where we'd love to hear from those of you that are thinking of a business or you're building an audience to ask a question about your business and the panel will give you real-time feedback on what you should do with that. Very brutally honest feedback as well. Question for the panel, how are you growing your audience? I know we've talked about tools and hacks and things like that. For this one, Justin, would you be willing to go first? Yeah, yeah. So it's
0: something I've been experimenting with lately. I also use a pre-scheduler. It also helps me get over kind of tweet fear or whatever you want to call it. You have that? For sure. Really? Yeah, for sure.
3: It's a number on the screen, man. It's not real people. Like, who cares? Just say whatever. Oh, yeah. This
0: is my deep personal issue, dude. So I I use a tweet scheduler. Uh, The other thing that I've been playing with is uh, I hired a ghostwriter, and I'm, like, building a team around this to basically turn audio clips that where he'll, like, send me a bunch of prompts, I'll send him an audio voice message back, and then we turn that into tweets, blog posts, or not blog posts, LinkedIn posts, and then kind of share that. So I've been playing with that as just a way to like create content without necessarily eating up a bunch of my time, which is the the big constraint right now.
4: Would you speak about your newsletter? Because it is a fascinating thing. It's one of the most well-written newsletters. It's one of the most widely read newsletters, a bunch among influential people. How do you think about it? Are you focused on the numbers? You really put a lot of time into your newsletter.
0: Yeah. So thank you for saying that. Very kind. So I would say that the Things that I focus on with the newsletter is I've actually been very intentional about not trying to overly optimize it from a growth standpoint. I find that I can like really optimize the businesses that I run and I'm involved in and get a lot of joy from doing that. But I want the newsletter to feel like a personal project and not a thing I'm hyper-optimizing because that way it, I feel like for whatever reason, this is all in my head, but you know, this is how I think about it. For whatever reason, not hyper-optimizing it means that I can like take creative license in it and write about things that other people might feel like that's a weird thing to say. Why the fuck are you talking about this? All of that. Like I recently wrote about how my fiance and I do psychedelics every quarter as like a way to work on our relationship. And my mom and grandma read that and we're like, what the hell? Do you know, like, what are you doing down there? But if it was a thing that I was optimizing for growth, I would be writing about side hustles. I would be writing about fat loss techniques. I'd be writing about all this stuff that leads to audience churn. And I think doesn't let people really get to know you. And so for me, not over-optimizing it is like a way that allows me creative freedom to write about what I'm most interested in.
3: Uh, for growth? Where's Diego, raise your hand. So I, I don't like using Instagram. I don't like using TikTok. Diego cold emailed me and he had some pitch and I was like, all right, do your thing. And he grew my Instagram from like zero to 50,000 in like 30 days or something like that. So that worked. Can we hear from him what his company is, Diego? Diego. Diego, can
4: I put you on blast? So you tell us what your company is and what you guys do? I founded it with Sam, actually, because I didn't have an agency before. and We just built it together, and we're doing short form for
0: a couple of clients here, Neville as well. And I don't know. We're learning through the process, but ultimately, it's all about increasing your output as much as you can and just iterating on ideas and just finding interesting people. I don't think many people want to be
3: famous, but... They're not interesting enough. <laughs> so,
1: what are, what are some of the things that are working for growing his Instagram?
3: For him? By the way, you got to tell the story. Basically, he messaged me and I go, he was like, I'll, I'll make it bigger. And I go, okay, send me your social security number, you and your girlfriend's ID and your address and like with the utility bill. And uh, I go, cool, here's my, I have all that information. I know where you live. I will end you. Here's my password. Make it work. And so I just gave him my username and password <laughs> and he did, he did all the work. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> thank you, Sam. <laughs> well, it was, like, really valuable. You know, I didn't want you to screw me. <laughs> no, it is, it is. Yeah, thank you very much. He had zero people. Uh, I think I gave him my Twitter, too, and that had a lot. Yeah.
1: I think um, being having
0: controversial uh, arguments or ideas are very helpful to grow an audience and actually being authentic. Um, you can grow somebody like Sam
3: without Sam being Sam. So
0: I think that helps tremendously. Um, just be authentic.
3: Awesome. Thanks Diego. And then we, um, Facebook ads still work. So the hustle, we still advertise a little bit on Facebook ads. And then the last thing to help grow is consistency. So my first million has done 500 episodes. Uh, the hustle has sent, you know, many, many thousands of emails and that's a fucking grind when you're in the middle of it and you just have to people ask, you know, Sean and I are pretty good together on the pod. And it's because we've been doing it for a long, we haven't been doing it for that long. But you know, we were doing it by ourselves, like him and I would just do this brainstorm stuff for years before we did the pod. And so just like reps, constantly getting in reps, and just like creating content every single day. And it, it does start to compound, but it like doesn't feel that way when you're doing it all the time.
1: Two, two tips for anyone out there. I'll just specifically around uh, like Twitter growth, for instance. I'd say commit to a schedule for yourself. So whatever that is. Like when people say consistency, like how long, how many years now have you done this? Five years?
3: Well, I've been creating content for 10 plus years. I had a blog. I see Corey back here. Uh, he used to, uh, We met because of this blog I had. So I've been doing that since 2012. And then we've been doing the hustle since 2014.
1: So just pick whatever schedule. Like if you're going to do one tweet a day or two tweets a day, whatever kind of you can stick with for at least, you know, we used to talk about 100 days at least for, for at least a year, I think would be really helpful. The growth thing I would say specifically for Twitter that is surprising is that you should just repeat the same message, whatever is popular for your audience. And what I mean by that is we'll do a tweet um, about how Drake has only gotten like only 10% of his music has hits. I I tweeted that like three years ago. And then I'm like, okay, I have to come up with something new. And instead, we just basically repeat the same tweet over and over. So we just write it from scratch. And then we'll post it in the same places over and over. Because you think that everyone's seen it in only actually a small part. So what I'd recommend you do is go back and see anything that you've done that's popular and then just keep repeating it on a monthly cadence. Just put that in the automatic scheduler.
4: So there's an advanced search function in um, Twitter that will let you show your most popular tweets that have the most number of likes and retweets. And it's one of my favorite things to do when I sit down with somebody and I help them with their web stuff is I say, let's look at your most popular stuff from years ago and let's reshare it right now you can't press the retweet button you actually have to uh, copy and paste it and actually repost it and they're always bangers and so what's the cadence you think it's about three months between
1: i don't know if there's an exact science around it we just do it at least once a month basically i've hired a team similar to sam but basically it's like what are the themes so like in our videos are basically if you look at our youtube channel it's like asking millionaires blah right and so it's more what's the formula you can double down on Like, what's the unique thing? I liked what Justin said earlier. Like, where do you have a competitive advantage? Like, what's your unique advantage? And then how do you just keep repeating that so you're the person that's known for it? For instance, who's the guy that goes up to cars that asks them what they do for a living? Daniel Mack. Like, everyone, no one knows maybe who he is necessarily, but everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's the guy that, like, goes up to the cars and asks them what they do for a living. Like, what is that for you? You're the girl or guy that does. And I think it's figuring out those themes or the way that you do it over and over. And then you get kind of known for that, and then it snowballs.
2: I would say the number one thing I've seen, just getting in front of someone's audience, you go on someone's podcast. If I go on Noah's podcast, all those people hear about me, sign up, buy stuff. That's the absolute fastest. Growing audience, he was making it sound a little bit simple. They edit a lot of videos. So they basically, the shorts, the way it works is someone like Sam or someone that has a long form podcast on YouTube, they go, They I think you specifically go and say, that's an interesting thing. Then he has an editor go cut that down and put all the little clips and stuff and emojis and stuff on it. And then they go into LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok every single day or two times a day and post. That's a ton of content. But, but it's weird. Since we started doing that, uh, I'd have like, I go home to Houston all the time and my family friends are like, Neville, I'm following your content. And they read it on LinkedIn and stuff. It's just crazy. Like you just grow this cloud of influence and it's very difficult to track everything. But when you put out that much stuff on that many platforms, people do see it quite a bit.
1: One thing I would just recommend, especially early on, no matter if you have a large audience, small audience, just starting out, how are you connecting with other people? Because one thing that has been a theme that everyone here has said is like, I've been on Sam's show. Sam's been on Jordan Harbinger's show. I've worked with Justin. Justin's worked with Nick and and Neville. And so who are you connecting with that is either, I would say, pre-influencing? So like Danny Miranda is someone... I would say he's on the up and coming, and I think his show is going to be really popular. And there's a lot of other people, even in this audience, go meet other people. I've
3: been on, da- I've been on a show he's too. A good, it was great awesome. show,
1: great show. So I would look to connect with other people that you would like to work with in the future and try to help them today. And a lot of the success of Absumo was even from that. It was like people like Ramid and Tim and Ryan and some guys and ladies that I've met really early on in my career, and we helped each other. And so think about it, where is that in your own network. And I say the last thing, the content creation is not for everyone. Like Jeremy has a, a podcast called Backstage Careers. Where some people don't want to have attention, like they don't need that. And that's great too. So I would say if you do want to be a content creator and be in front, great. If you want to be back, great. But think about what's fun. What are you enjoying? I mean, we would do it if no one reads it. We used to have a YouTube channel before like YouTube was the thing. We'd yeah. make videos and stuff, yeah. Yeah, it was just fun. So I think it's more of like, are you enjoying it and find the thing that you actually can stick with and have fun with for a long period also, of time. Also, the
2: secret tip for all these social media sites, if you post something and you get bigger people to retweet it, it gets popular. I think that's just the bare, bare minute. So if I tweet something, then those two retweet it. It will get popular. And if they don't, it's um, more unlikely that it will happen. In the SEO world back in the day, there was just a, a term called the linkarati. So the way you went higher up in the SEO search results was you get linked by other people. So, someone coined the term linkerati that who are the people that link out? They're basically bloggers. So, go to conferences with all those bloggers. That was the way to get popular. So, I think now the way is like this, I don't know, incestuous social media world. Well, yeah. a lot
3: of people have like chat groups, like text groups. Like, I have a text group, and originally it was called like 100K, and it was a bunch of us trying to get to 100,000 followers, and we would share each other's stuff. Sahil Bloom, Nick Huber, Sean Purry, Nikita Beer, Greg Eisenberg, and everyone was, yeah, it's like a, it's the same thing.
0: I also do think like something that makes meeting these people much much easier is just being interesting and unique on some dimension I think is like the key thing where like if again, I'm I not to pick on you or anything, but like from a business podcast standpoint, like I think the odds of a general business podcast like crushing it right now are probably really low. but could you like create a hyper hyper niche thing that's like immigrant under nineteen entrepreneurs who are in the u s making a million dollars like, If you were that guy, like I guarantee that all these people become way more interested than if you're
4: just a guy who has a business, another guy who has a business podcast, you know. I would love to hear some questions from the audience to hear what y'all are thinking about. I see a question there. I see a question up front. I'm going to come up to the first one here.
0: Hey, this is a question for Justin. So it sounds like your new company. You're building this kind of B2B infrastructure layer connecting consumer tech to government grants. That's quite an unsexy topic on the surface. Do you have any advice for creators or operators who are working in these more unsexy verticals and how to create content that's compelling? Yeah, I mean, for us... For us it's it's two things. One, it's a space that I very much believe in. I very much believe that like if we don't fix the food system and the trajectory that health is on in the US, that it's going to bankrupt the country and going to cause massive problems beyond what it has. The second thing is I think that what we have found works really well is you clearly point out a fucked up thing. Like we're calling out big food a lot, we're calling out pharma a lot, we're calling out like school lunches, like The fact that for kids that eat school lunches, it's now a risk factor for developing obesity and like childhood diabetes, which is fucking insane. And so we're just like calling out these different things. And as people go, oh, wow, they've chosen a big enemy and they're talking about a topic that doesn't get a lot of play and that not a lot of people are aware of. We've seen an incredible amount of resonance with our mission. Like In one way, you could look at us and you're like, you're building a fintech payments company. But the emails that we're getting from people that are like, how can I like support your mission? Can I join, can I volunteer, can I do all this? Like, only comes when you hit something deep inside someone. And I feel like one of the best ways to fire people up is choose a big enemy that's very public and say like, we're basically enlisting people in our fight against this thing that is like very clearly messed
3: up. And have like, a really good looking charismatic leader tell the stories like that <laughs> <With> my co-founder.
4: <laughs>
3: Sign me up. Next question. Up
4: front, we got a question from Crystal. Crystal, you got a question?
2: Thanks for being here, guys. Um, I have a podcast and a social media community, but my question is, what are some success metrics that are creative, that are outside of the traditional listens, follows, something
4: not like a vanity metrics that you can really utilize because, you know, I don't have 100,000 downloads like y'all, but I really want to look at how engaged my
2: community has been and just looking past those, like, superficial metrics. I have
3: two. The, the hard one, but very valuable one, is say you're going to do a meetup and see how many people will show up. I mean, that's challenging to pull off. But if people will leave their home and drive somewhere, then it's really great. Or
0: a cocktail party.
3: Or a cocktail party. Yes. Uh, a two-hour cocktail party. The second one is on the pod tell them to go to a website that you're using or like recommend a product and see do they buy like something that you think is cool. So like there's times in our pod we'll, we'll recommend a book and we'll see it go up in the charts or we'll recommend Nick's book and he's like, I just sold like you know 800 copies. So if you tell people to buy something, you'll see if they're buying and they trust you and uh, or just go to a website Be like hey, I found this cool website it does this this and this. It doesn't matter if you have an affiliation. we would do that all the time. Like uh, our producer has this podcast called How to take over the World. And I was a fan of his. And I said, I saw this amazing podcast. And then I DM'd him. I go, hey, send me a picture of your your analytics. Let me see what happened. And he goes, oh, man, I appreciate you doing that. And I saw the analytics. I'm like, all right, sick. People are listening. And so I would tell them to do certain things, like show up to an event or buy something or listen to something. And if they do it, then I know I have them.
2: I found one uh, email replies. I know I have a good email when a bunch of people reply. My email inbox just blows up. What are some cool questions? Ask a specific question, because if you just say, what are you interested in? It's just an open-ended question. What I like to do is give people an answer, like a layup, like they could answer on their phone. So I'm like, what's your favorite pizza, pepperoni or sausage, something like that. And they could at least just copy the thing. And you get tons of replies when you do that. Also, interesting thing about
4: email, if you have three back and forth conversations with someone, you automatically go in the primer inbox. Nice, nice. I'd love to hear some questions from the back. Anybody in the back have some questions? Yes, I see a question here, but then folks in the back, I'd love to hear. I'm coming over to you.
3: Nick's really good at this.
1: Yeah,
4: give it up for Nick. Let's give it up for Nick. Nick is awesome.
3: Thanks, guys.
1: All right, Javier, what's your question? Available for bar mitzvahs, birthday parties.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My question is for Noah. Uh, Do you think at some point in order to grow uh, AppSumo, you'd have to replace
1: yourself as CEO to grow. So I'm, I'm holding it back. Whoa. Am I holding it
3: back now? <laughs> no. Uh, no it, um, do you think CEOs are starting? <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah, okay. I got nervous. Wow. The
1: team, there's a lot of people on the team here. Um, I think, you know, in general, if there's someone be- like right now, I think I'm the best to run it, but I think at some point there'll be someone better to run it. And then I think the big thing for anybody here, it's how are you, how, how are leaders building leaders? So whether you're a team of one, how are you building the next leaders within your organization? So I think there's, there's great books like uh, The Squirrel Will Take Care of Itself, No Rules Rules from Netflix, uh, Rockefeller Habits. So I think it's in your organization, how are you building that up so you can leave? Uh, and I did leave. It was great. It was great. But pretty, pretty um, <laughs> I, I didn't really feel like I had a lot of purpose or satisfaction. I think that was one thing coming back to AppSumo and working with these great people, promoting products, is that what, are the har- what is the hardest thing you can do? And that's generally going to be the thing you're most proud of. So for now, I, I feel like I'm, I'm the best to do it, but at some point I won't. And so building up the people to be able to do that.
3: We've, we've both hired CEO. You've hired a bunch of them. I hired a couple of them. And if you get the right person, it's like, uh, yeah, all my shit took off. I mean, like I would get it to like where it was working really nicely. And then a CEO, hiring a CEO definitely was the right move.
4: We got a question back here that we're going to go to. Will you say your name and just say a little bit about your business. You got an awesome company.
0: Oh, thanks. Um, my name is Chandler Bolt. I run a company called selfpublishing.com. We help people publish books to grow their business. I'm curious um, for you guys have you ever seen someone successfully build out a content arm that's not, that doesn't revolve around the founder's face? Um, and if so, how to do that? We're, we're scaling our content team, and I would really love for me not to be the bottleneck, but it kind of comes, it keeps coming back to like, hey, Chandler, we need you to record more videos or more podcasts or more whatever. Um, is that something you've seen or any recommendations that you
2: would give there? I think the, the uh, number one thing I've personally seen is that if the founder is good at content, then they can be a content company. If the founder has never put out any content, which is not the case with you, you put out a lot, then I've never seen it work out all that well. So since you, you can, because you already put out content, it's easier for you to hire people that can also make content as well, is what I've seen personally.
0: I also think that we're moving towards a, an era where people don't really look to brands for almost anything, and they don't really trust brands. And I think that with the proliferation of, uh, you know, any number of influencers that you can follow, I'm seeing way less resonance with, like, brand content, and something that we're shifting towards at all of the companies is just funding really interesting micro-influencers and smaller people, and getting them to share their story. Because I, I just I just don't think that anyone's interested in, like, what Pepsi thinks anymore, as much as they're interested in, like, the, the long tail of influencers that are talking about whatever the topic is.
3: It's like asking... Can a non-technical founder create a high-tech product? And I think that, yeah, I guess. But the odds, I don't think, are are in their favor if you create a content company and you don't have... And the, the founder is not very into that. But yeah, like look at BuzzFeed. Um, I mean, like yes, you can create... It's very possible where the founder is not the face. I think it's easier when they are the face. With the hustle, I was the face. And then I quickly hired a ton of writers. Writers are like the biggest pain in the ass, by the way, to manage the... The, the, the better they are, the, the more talented they are, the more challenging they are to manage. It's just like an artist. Um, but uh, it's very possible to hire people to be better than you, which I did a lot. Uh, but it's definitely easier when the... Uh, like, can you imagine managing Noah? <laughs> or neville it'd be thinking f- about you dude. <laughs> <laughs> they're the fucking worst can you like neville's like amazing it kind of he's really challenging to manage but it is very possible but and I, so i think it's very possible to do it without the founder being the face but i think the founder has to be a content geek just like if you're creating something highly technical it, it needs to be built in the dna
4: we got another question over here. Will you say your name, Danny, and say a little bit about your business and then what your question is? Hold
3: it. Um my name's Danny, as you just said. <laughs> <laughs> Um, So I'm the national uh, director of sales here at William Murray Golf. So I'm not a content creator, but I'm a big um, consumer of content. So I'm honestly, and I'm also, I got my college degree in political science, so I'm a political nerd. But I'm just curious with the uncertainty of the future of TikTok, what, if you have any contingency plans, what does that look like for you guys? um, And if there's any other platforms that you're excited about and, um, you know, wanting to explore. I don't have any plans.
0: I, I don't either. It's so hard for me to imagine that they would shut down TikTok entirely versus like divest the US business and have, you know, have someone, investors or team run it here. Like, I think TikTok is big enough that it's here to stay. And any, you know, party that pushed through banning TikTok would lose like all of the Gen Z voters and millennials, which seems with, with such a like, you know, tight race, it feels unlikely to me that that's going to happen.
2: But as a, as a hedge, I, I would post on every single social network. Every single social network, Facebook has whatever their stories are called, Instagram has them, LinkedIn, all of those places. So we've been doing that and we've actually seen like audiences grow even though I never log in. It's, it,
1: you should just do that. <laughs> How many people here actually use TikTok? Just most people? Not? How many people? I don't use TikTok. Anyone else not really use it? Um, I think what, what I try to think about is like, where's the largest audience of people that I actually want? right? And what I've, and on TikTok, I, I find that most of the, the, the audience don't really care about who you are. and just kind of like an entertainment screen, uh, where I think Jeremy and I have found that on YouTube, the audience is a little bit more open and active to like, finding out who the creators are, and then probably and, and being engaged in that. And so I think it's where's the audience that's growing that you can actually have a relationship with. And I think the most important thing is, as Sam said, I think all of us here have really focused on growing an email list. So how are you growing? And it's been harder. I've actually noticed that like, I check my email way less. Like I check my DMs on Twitter and Instagram, like, way more than I actually check my email uh, and so maybe that's an area to grow like how are you getting your followers on Twitter up or maybe Instagram but the thing that I get concerned with is that if you just grow your social following without communication channels when you want to sell or do or tell them to come to a meetup or whatever it is on your podcast like you have no way of actually getting them to do that without having to create new content so I try to figure out how you can control that through email like on AppSumo we're building SMS so we have like direct communication there's like ShortySMS.com or Twilio or other source, other tools Uh, But I I would think about hedging against just all the social.
3: At our old office at The Hustle, we used to have this mural of a pirate ship. And I made a bet like when we hit the first million dollar month in revenue, I got that tattooed on my leg. And we used to say that, um, so I have this big tattoo of a pirate ship here. Because we used to say that our email list is our pirate ship. And every subscriber we get on the newsletter, it's a little bit of wind in our sails. Because it's like newsletters, the last platform that you can like kind of own a little bit.
1: Show it. You show it?
3: That would involve me taking my pants off. so uh, I'm sure you could Google it. And see. Uh, okay, okay. Great. Great job. All right. So I just want
4: to see a show of hands. Is there any more questions? Any more questions we got? Okay. I see one, two. Keep your hands up. Please hold your hands up so I can see one, two, three, four, five, six. All right. We're going to do a little test, and we're going to do rapid round questions. I'm going to give a one-minute Answer time, and so please bear with me as a moderator to work quickly through. I'm talking to the host panel to give your answers quickly. Was that that you had a question?
3: So Neville, you just said post on every social media platform. For the beginners, do you recommend going wide first or going super deep on one, building a following, and then spreading out across social media?
2: I would say the one that you spend the most time on natively, like naturally, I spend the most time on Twitter. So I think that's where I'm focusing my content. And then just copy it across. Now for YouTube... Like if you make videos, you could obviously make that into TikToks, all that kind of stuff. So go to the one that you really like the most. And I would think a lot of people would say just go hard on that one only. And then whenever you're ready, if you get 100,000 followers on XYZ, you can then jump to another platform at any time with that huge audience and have them follow you.
4: Great. Next question. Hey, yeah. So mine's about the book actually for mostly
3: you, Nick. And it's funny, Chandler, um, I actually had a call schedule with your team like today. So small world, man. Plug for Chandler. Um, So my question is, I was listening to the HubSpot marketing podcast about like doing a book for like domain expertise. And that's what they did for like inbound marketing. They wanted to release the book. So my question for you, Nick, and for any of y'all that want to take it is if you're trying to establish like a specific niche and you have a back end business with your book, is it worth all the
0: work or would you avoid doing the book and just focus on the content?
4: I would say that if you can lead the book into a mastermind sale or a large sale for something, and then that is your strategy. So then that is the best way. That's the only way that I've seen really to make a book work financially for the amount of time. When I wrote my book, it took me six years to write it because I wanted a book so good that if I saw a celebrity walking down the street that I would have so much confidence that I could walk up and say, you have to read my book. I am proud of this and I want this book to be known for There's a lot of other people with self-publishing today that are making books that are so easy because for the sales funnel. So you need to make the decision, do you want to be known for that book that you love it so much, or are you using it for sales, domain expertise, and knowledge? Folks on the panel, book thoughts, anybody? I think it's best to have a big-ass audience
2: first and then release a book. So so you have something to go off of. Also, talk to Chandler about what he calls a a launch party, launch group. It's like a group of people that will announce your book at the same time. It's like a social algorithm. If Amazon sees a lot of sales, it'll promote it more. Nice. I'm going to move to the next question.
4: (laughs) just always have the harmonica. Um, Next question. Who can I see a hand? All right, question, and I'm coming to you next in the blue. So this
2: is for any of you. Um, How are you utilizing, I guess, one of you that are utilizing ChatGPT or GPT-4 in a way that's interesting or, like, different?
3: We're starting to use it for uh, replying to customer service emails. Idea generation. I run a
2: copywriting company, so people ask me all the time, what about ChatGPT? It surprisingly isn't that useful yet, but it's getting more and more useful. The amount of things it could do is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so if I am staring at a blank page or trying to write something, I ask it all the time. I'm like, what are some ideas? And it gives you mostly kind of whatever ideas, but two or three of them are good and that's what you need. So I use it all the time. Justin,
0: anything? I think, I don't know. It's hard to like pontificate at this, but if you see the rate at which this is getting better, I think that you have to assume that 80 plus percent of content writers are probably like not worth anything in the next two years, which I think is kind of crazy. But I think it's true. Like, I think you could literally plug my newsletter into chat, GPT4, have it write a book on a certain number of topics. And that would be like, about as good as if I'd hired a ghostwriter for, you know, 10 to 30 grand, which is wild. Great question. Thank you. Blue over here.
1: Noah, you mentioned that you care about who your audience is. Is there someone that you're looking for specifically in your audience? And like, is there anyone that you feel like you're missing? Because to be honest, looking around, primarily everyone here is, I would say male. So are each of you guys missing a piece of the world by not appealing maybe more to women?
0: I think it's great that there's women creators that are appealing to, you know, people that I don't resonate with quite as much. Like, I think it's it's awesome. I don't really buy into like every creator should appeal to every single person, though. I think that is almost certainly a way to dilute your message and not necessarily have strong resonance with like a core group of people, which is what you need to grow any sort of business community or like a really
1: rich audience, in my opinion. Hey, Jenvia, Good to see you. <laughs> I think what has helped Jeremy and I with our content is calling them the underdogs it's gender neutral we don't really care male or female but I know more about being a male so that's generally the audience we appeal to so there's like Will Chow what a Will he's got a YouTube channel Will Chow's personal development blog everything we do we ask like what's Will up to and is this gonna help Will right we don't talk about you as much Will but it's more of like is this for the underdogs because it gets easy to start making content that we think will go viral or we think could be popular but for us, it's like, does this help an underdog on their business journey? And the same thing with AppSumo. It's like, is this going to help a solopreneur with starting or growing in their business if they're an agency and so forth? So I think it's coming back to who you're really trying to serve. Because you can easily get sidetracked and doing like Mr. Beast type stuff or other content. And I think Justin's right. Just like figure out who that person is, and then asking yourself coming back to that person. I'd love more female, male, anybody listening to the content. But it's it's also not for everyone. It's for people specifically in business. Or I wanted to go in business.
3: If you're a woman and you want to get on Twitter, I think there's a huge hole in the market for women. Like I surveyed my audience, I said, and I had a poll, and it was ninety five percent men. Which like in one regard, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to keep going for men because that's who's already consuming. But then on the other side, if I saw that as a woman, I'd be like, oh, sick, there's a big opportunity here because I can stick out more.
4: Hands up for questions. I see a question for Bar Shop. I'm going to run over to you and then I'm coming back. Kim. All right, Jonathan.
3: It's actually Danny's question. I want to hear what y'all... I don't remember how you phrased it, Danny, but what was it? It was like the most interesting thing about each one of y'all. Danny, what was it? I'll say one really quickly. Neville is... The number one most emotionally healthy person I've ever met, almost to a fault. He's very emotionally healthy. I am not as much. Neither is he. <laughs> Conversely, I've known Justin now for over a decade. You are a very stable, like easy to be around person. And so that's like an interesting thing I've learned over the years. You're, you're, you're very emotionally healthy too.
0: Sam... <laughs> <laughs> I have one. So in February of 2020, I started this like weight loss challenge where basically people would put up a steak. I would mail them a continuous glucose monitor and pay them for $25 for every day that they stayed under 120 milliliters per deciliter, whatever it is. But basically like didn't eat the sugar or carbs for 30 days. And so Sam was in that challenge. And Sam sent me, I got to see a collection of Sam's underwear as he would send shirtless selfies to me with uh, the weight he was losing. So I have a a good sense of what Sam's got going on under
1: there.
3: (laughs) 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 average at best.
1: (laughs) Maybe, I don't know if it's something I've learned, but give people a second chance. I remember I I met Sam, when did you first hit me up? 20, 2008, 2010? 2012. Uh, And I just like, just didn't like him. I just didn't like him. I just think I don't like his attitude. I don't like the personalities a lot, right? It's like, you can only have so much of this around, right? Like well, I'm a left for myself. Then you got Sam and um, I think he just came on really strong and, and it was interesting to then be like, oh, let me just, I think in general, like double check things that we have stories about or people that we we hate, like what is it about this person? And then I've gone to really just respect and appreciate Sam over the years and really admire that, like how he starts thing, how he takes care of his wife and his dog and how he is as a friend. So maybe some of the people out there or beliefs we have, maybe just double check them. One neat thing I found about
4: Neville is that uh, Neville goes to a lot of events, and after every single event and during the event, he snaps photographs that he takes and sends to the host. And it is a as somebody who hosts a lot and always forgets to take pictures during my events, it's a small little thing that he's been doing for years that really means a lot. To me as a host, I'm telling you, to get those photos of my own event, it's a really nice thing. And he always sends them, doesn't say anything, but just sends... 10 or 15 photos that are really nice. It's also a way to give a free gift <laughs> instead of uh, paying for it. Well, one interesting thing about
2: Noah, he's the fastest typer I've ever seen, and he uses a computer really fast. It's, it's quite impressive. He has a lot of different shortcuts enabled, and he types extremely fast. I remember one time, I was like, you type so fast. He's like, well, if I type double fast, then I get double work done. And I was like, that, that is true. You finish emails and stuff a lot faster. And then Sam, it's interesting. I've known him since he was like nothing. And... <laughs> And the last two or three years, your profile has like
3: risen massively. But uh, you get very like crippling anxiety, like at, at events. I just get worn out talking to people. We had this thing last night, and like three hundred people were there, and I had to sleep like twelve hours. Yeah, it, it wears me out.
2: Like it, it really, really like drains him. And I'm like, for someone who's like getting famous now, this is, that's a rough thing. But you got better. Yeah.
3: My wife's over here. Sarah's in the back. raise her hand. Whenever she comes to these things, I make her hold my hand the whole time. I'm like, you gotta stay with me the whole time. Oh, uh,
4: all right. Next question in the back, Kim.
5: OK, cool. Yeah, I got it this time. So appreciate the second <laughs> chance. Yeah, Yeah. I got it. <laughs> so basically, what's some actionable advice that you have for people who have like lean teams um, to create goal congruency, especially when those teams are oftentimes like non-employee teams? So you don't you're not the only project that they're focusing on at a time. Goal congruency is like you already know pretty much exactly um, what you're imagining it to come out as, but to be able to not only communicate that, but to make sure that across the multiple people that you're dealing with, I'm um, working on the same project, that you're actually going to get the outcome that you're intending for.
2: Your, I use a lot of freelance. I just tell them what to do.
5: <laughs>
1: and I pay them, so they do it. Yeah. I think one thing that, that was it's true. I think with teams in general, is there one clear goal? So like for our YouTube channel, Jeremy, it's 750,000 subscribers. And that's our only goal. And so I think as long as it's, there's clarity where you're trying to move towards, then everyone kind of understands that.
3: I stole that from you. You taught me that. And at all my companies, we have a meeting every single week and we talk about one number. So at the hustle for the first three years, it was subscribers. So did it go up by 3% or not? If yes, why? And if no, why? And it was every single week. We, it was that one number.
0: Justin, anything you wanna? The only thing I'll add to that is I think that having one clear goal is a great thing. Uh, something we started doing a couple years ago is adding what we call a pairing metric. So, for example, if we we're Noah's, you know, in Noah's case, you wanted to get to what'd you say, seven hundred fifty thousand subscribers. Like, there's a lot of ways that you can cheat and make shitty content to get to seven hundred fifty thousand subscribers. And so, if I were creating that as a metric, I'd say. Let's get to 750,000 subscribers, but we have to keep our average video length watched above like some metric. So you're not slipping on quality and having two paired metrics allows the team to like really well optimize within an operational space I've found. Awesome. Thank you, Justin.
4: Well, we're going to wrap up panelists time to think if you have any closing remarks or anything that you want to say. This is a chance for you to say something nice in 20 seconds or less. Just any closing comments or thoughts. We'll start with Neville. I think Nick is one of the most interesting creators I've ever seen. So Thanks,
2: we, we always talk about it behind the scenes. We're like so glad Nick lives here. It makes life better. That's Thank all. you, Neville.
4: Nick. Thank
1: you very much. Not about me, Noah? Okay, Nick Gray. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I think the one thing I try to come back to when we're uh, – is everyone here a content creator or want to be a content creator or starting? Yeah, everyone, most people. It's very easy to get disassociated and you just look at numbers. You're just like, how many followers do I have? How many subscribers do I have? How many clicks did I get? How many, uh, whatever TikTok stuff happens, right? And I think the thing to come back to is it's individuals with dreams and hopes and like they want you to do something for them. So I, I guess the encouragement I have is like, go and actually connect with one or two of the people that are that are your customers or that are your subscribers or followers or, or email people, whatever that is. And I think it really inspires you and it really makes you appreciate the, the content you're creating to actually connect with it versus just being like metrics and, and distance focused.
3: Uh, I would say get ready for- If you're going to do it, it takes way longer than you think. And that's not a bad thing, but things take a long time. And I think that like some of my success, people are like, oh, you kind of came out of nowhere. I'm like, dog, I've been doing this shit since I was reading Neville's blog in 2010. Like it it takes a long time to like make this stuff click. But then after like uh, maybe year five, year six, sometimes then it kind of starts taking off, at least a lot in my case. But it's a fucking grind. But it's pretty sick like you get to make content and make money i mean that's like the coolest thing ever that's way better than like most every other job so embrace the grind and get ready for it to take five or ten years awesome
4: thank you we are go to you next but i'm gonna give a little plug the one number that i track the one number that i track in my own business and marketing is how many people read my book and actually host a happy hour for their friends neighbors their colleagues or things like that And so to that extent, if there's anybody here today who wants to take that challenge, that you're willing to host a party, I'd love to give you a free copy of my book. I have some here. But you have to take your phone out and pick the date and tell me what date you're going to host your party. So I will help you with that. I will coach you. But that's my one number. And if I get a couple people, that'd be great. Justin. The one thing I would say is that creating content is
0: crowded. And so, but it, and it feels very crowded, but I do think that even today, there's still a lack of authentic voices, people doing interesting things, talking about interesting things. I really think that to be an interesting creator, it just flows naturally from being an interesting person and an interesting, like how many people would sit out front of a private jet terminal asking to get on people's like private jets. Like that's just not a thing that the average person does. And so Noah's an interesting character and does an amazing job creating content. And so I would think about how can you live a more interesting life, be around like fascinating people and have cool conversations. And the more you start to see friends and others be like, oh, I've never heard that before. Like, maybe that's when you should start writing about your thoughts that are literally not out there. Otherwise, otherwise, I, I don't think it's really worth doing
4: personally. Awesome. Thank you very much, you guys. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks to the AppSumo team. Please grab some food, drinks. Let's mix and mingle.
1: Thanks, everybody. That was wrap. I hope you love the episode as much as we did making it for you. If you did, go check out the tools I mentioned. That's castmagic.io. It's on AppSumo right now. I don't know how long it's going to be there for. I think it's like 39 bucks for life. Sendfox.com and clickup.com. And finally, check out the speakers. Neville Madore is at NevMed on Twitter. Sam Parr is The Sam Parr. Nick Gray is Nick Gray News. And Justin Mayers is J-W-M-A-R-E-S. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's go start a YouTube channel together. And before you go, tweet TikTok, TikTok, whatever it is, at Noah Kagan, let me know what you thought of this episode. Also, go check out tidycal.com. It is the free scheduling tool I use to set up a lot of my chats. It's something we built because we were tied to overpaying for a lot of things. And so if you're a solopreneur or a small business owner or you just want to schedule easy meetings, check it out at tidycal.com. Finally, a couple shouts to the amazing team for making this happen. Especially to Jason at podcasttech.com for doing the editing of these episodes. Thank you to Mitchell, Jeremy, George, Cam, Sasa, Nikki, and Jen from the Door team for all the magic y'all do. And finally, a huge shout out to all of the BD team over at AppSumo. It's amazing all the different deals you all find, the great deals that all the customers get, as well as helping promote these partners and helping grow their businesses. So thank you to every one of the people at the business development team at AppSumo. Have a happy day. What's your favorite instrument?